good morning. How's everyone doing? Oh, well, one person's glad to be here. Uh, it feels a little early, doesn't it? But we're so glad you're here and uh, excited about what God's doing here at Hickory Ridge in the hearts and lives of people. Speaking of hearts, next week I'm starting a new series called uh, How to Win Within. It's all about the battle for your heart because our hearts are so, so, so very important uh, for our lives. They're important to our Heavenly Father, because our hearts are where our decisions are made. The direction of our life is formed. It, it kind of establishes our moral compass. And uh, the Bible actually tells us, and we're going to look at this in the book of Proverbs, it says, above all else, guard your hearts, for from it flow the issues of life. In other words, your heart will determine the direction of your life for good or for bad. So we're going to spend a number of weeks, about four weeks, looking at what the Bible says about how to win the battle for your heart. Because as you guard your heart, as you change your heart, it will change your life. And so I hope you come out and join us on that, uh, for that series starting next Sunday. But this morning we're wrapping up this series on the book of James. We've uh, had 10 weeks behind us. This is the 11th week in the series. Who has found it helpful in one way or another? Please raise your hand, make your pastor feel good. <laughs> well, good. Uh, I hope it's been helpful to you. This morning's message, I, I am very hopeful it will help you in, um, in some very practical ways because these closing verses that James writes are all about prayer. So we're going to look at a number of different things that James points to on how to energize, revolutionize um, just see a change in your prayer life. Because what he wants for you, he wants for me, what he wanted for the folks that he was writing to some 2,000 years ago is to have a dynamic, powerful, and effective prayer life. So many of us pray and we don't see anything happen. I'm not going to give you a formula that if you follow these steps, God will answer every one of your prayers. What I'm going to talk about are different ways in which we can approach prayer. And if we approach prayer this way, it will change not only us, but our prayer life. And therefore, it will change how we relate to our Heavenly Father. So we're going to look at these last verses in James, starting in chapter 5, verse 13. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. So... What is he saying? What's the, what's the main idea behind this verse right here? Here it is. Include prayer in every aspect of your life. Are you going through some hard times? Or are you uh, facing some difficulty, some adversity? Is there tension in your life? Are you being mistreated? Uh, is your boss at work somehow uh, not recognizing you? Uh, are your neighbors someone that just... You know, you want to love them to the Lord uh, with the right hand of fellowship. Whatever it is, he's saying, pray about those things. Pray about that. Are things going well? You got a pay raise. You got a promotion. You just got engaged. You, you just started a new relationship. You got a new car. Things are going great. You know what you should do? You should praise. And praise is basically singing prayers to God. So in other words, he's saying no matter what's going on in life, pray about it. Every aspect of your life. Why? Because when you pray about those different things in life, what you're doing is you're inviting God in to those areas of your life. God, I'm struggling. I need you. God, things are great. It's not, it's not me. It's you. You deserve the glory. You deserve the honor. You deserve the praise. 
So I was talking to someone just recently, and they said, oh, there's times I wake up and I'm kind of distracted about all things, and, and I can't go back to sleep. There's times I'll pray. And then they said, but you know what I've started to do? Sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll just start praising God. Well, that's wonderful. Praise God. Make a list of all the things that he's blessed you with. We so often go to God simply with the needs that we have. And we very rarely go and say, God, I'm just going to worship you for all the blessings that you've given me. So invite God into every aspect of your life. If you want a vibrant, exciting, powerful prayer life, that's where it starts. So often we only turn to prayer as a last resort. James is saying, make prayer your first resort. Start with prayer and then go from there. And then he moves on and says this. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. Now, I know in reading that and in hearing that and in seeing that, for some people, it makes you kind of go, kind of, okay, inviting God into prayer, I get, you know, into my life through prayer, I, I can understand that. Because prayer, the whole idea of prayer, it's unbroken communion with God. It's an ongoing conversation with your Heavenly Father. But then all of a sudden, he's talking about, praying for sickness and and you're saying i'm sick i've been sick i have an affliction i've got something going on in my life or a friend did a spouse a family member and i prayed and they weren't healed and so i don't know if i believe this prayer offered in faith will heal the sick i've prayed and then he talks about elders i don't even know who these elders are and call on these elders and have them come dump a jug of oil on your head and if you do that something magical is going to happen it seems like it's almost peter pan and pixie dust And we get weirded out. So I want to walk you through what he's getting at because it is so important and we kind of gloss over it. So the first thing is this. If you're sick, go to God. If you're sick, go to God. So what James is getting at, the bottom line in these verses is this. You should pray and believe for healing. Listen, if the God of the Bible is real, and I believe he is, if if that God is all-powerful, and I believe he is, if that same God is personal and he cares about you and you can talk to him, why wouldn't you go to him with such a great area of need? I need healing in my body. I need healing in my life. I need healing in my mind. I need healing in my emotions. I need healing in my relationships. Why wouldn't you go to that God and bring those needs to him? And if you don't think the God that you pray to, that you worship, that you believe in is powerful enough to do anything about it, then I'm going to tell you right now, you're serving a pretty pathetic God. I mean, what God, I know you're not, you can't do anything about this, but would you do something about something you can't do something about? There's a lot of some things in there, but trust me, I got it right. Um, So the whole idea is you have to get to the point where you say, God, I know you can. I'm going to pray to you and believe. I'm going to stand in faith that you can heal me. I'm going to believe. Now, it's interesting, that word sick. Are any among you sick? And I just kind of referred to this. But it's it's important to to point this out. It's not just physical sickness. It carries with it the idea of spiritual uh, struggle. There's something broken in your life spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally. In other words, if you're at a point where you need divine intervention, God, you need to do what only you can do. Turn to him 
And he can bring healing in any and every area of your life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, mentally. Turn to God and say, God, I need you. But then James is saying, listen, when you're sick like that, when something is broken in your life, and and you're saying, God, I need you, don't carry that prayer burden alone. Turn to someone else. Ask them to carry this burden with you. So turn to the elders of the church. And I know some of you are going, I don't know what that means. The elders of the church. I'm not going to get into the Greek and and all the the old language. Let me just kind of cut through all of that high theological stuff. Just get to the nitty gritty details. Make it as simple as we can. In the New Testament, leaders in the church are referred to by a lot of different titles. Um, Pastors or shepherds. Uh, is one. Pastor, shepherd, same, same word. Um, and it, it often is, uh, or it refers to those who are charged with, have the responsibility of caring for the people. Like a shepherd cares for the sheep. Then there's um, elders. Elders are men or women of mature faith who are consistent, who have a track record you can look at their life and say, this isn't like, you know, a Johnny come lately and, and they just all of a sudden found the Lord and they think they know everything. They've got, you can look back and say, man, this person, they've been consistent through a, a long period of time, through the goods and bads, ups and downs. And they're, they're trying to, uh, their responsibility is to, is to help be an example to those in the church. Then there's... Uh, um, Apostles or bishops. Now those are people that have a responsibility to establish ministry and provide oversight. Then there's teachers. Teachers are those who are charged with, who are anointed with, who have a gifting in teaching and preaching the word of God. Uh, so those are a lot of the different titles in the, in the New Testament church. It's not all of them. But over 2,000 years, what has happened in many, many churches is that we've kind of done away with a lot of these titles and everything falls under the, uh, the category of pastor. So you're a pastor. So when James says, call on the elders, he's saying, call on the leaders of the church. Men and women that you know are of great faith, who are consistent, who care about you, who love you, who are concerned about your growth spiritually and in human terms, that you're becoming the person that God created you to be. It may be someone who carries or is in the office who has the title pastor, but it also can refer to those who are functioning as a pastor in your life. So a connect group leader who calls on you and checks on you and brings you meals and says, how are you doing? That's a pastor in your life, a ministry leader, someone who you serve alongside and they ask how you're doing and, they, and they're caring about your well-being and they know what's going on in your life. That's a pastor in your life. So James is saying, you're going through something hard. Have the faith to believe that God can bring healing. But don't carry that by yourself. Turn to those who know you, love you, care about you. Go to them. And if, just a few. You don't, need, you don't need the whole church. Just go to that handful of people and say, would you carry this prayer burdened with me? Let them pray with you. Let them pray for you. Don't go through this alone. Then he talks about oil. Now this kind of messes with us because we're like, what in the world? Why why am I going to take oil and pour it on someone's head? I don't get that. So in the Bible, oil often is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, of God's 
presence. It, it, it represents faith, God's provision in our lives. So when James says, anoint someone with oil, what he's saying is you are joining your faith together and you're coming to God and you're saying, God, as we take this oil and symbolically uh, we apply it to someone's head, symbolically we're saying, God, we're coming to you in faith. We're looking for your provision, for your healing, for your Holy Spirit to move, for your power to flow. And so, God, we're asking you to do this. There's nothing magical about the oil. So you say, well, then why do I need the oil? Well, you need the oil because the Bible tells us to do this. Why do we receive communion? Because the Bible tells us to receive communion. Why are we water baptized? Because the Bible tells us to be water baptized. They are symbolic in nature, but there's also something spiritual that's hap that happens through those acts. In the same way, there's something spiritual that happens when we walk in obedience and anoint someone with oil. So, I've got here a little thing of oil, in case you're wondering. You know, my daughter's like, what are you doing with that? Because it was last night, and I'm like, I'm putting olive oil in a thing. And she says, well, it's just olive oil. I said, right, it's just olive oil. There's nothing magic about it. But it represents something. And so, when I pray for someone and I anoint them with oil, I just put some on my thumb and make a sign of a cross on their forehead. But it doesn't matter. You could slather it on your hand and put it on someone's forehead. Some of us have big foreheads and they need a big hand. Um, but the, the idea is you're inviting God into that moment and saying, God, will you do what only you can do? Will you move in a powerful way? Now, I, I know some of you have prayed for healing and not seen healing. And I can't give you a reason why that doesn't happen. What I'm telling you is, if you walk in these things, it allows God to move in a way he wouldn't have moved if you didn't do it. Because you're walking in obedience. See, it's kind of like giving. Someone says, I don't give and I'm blessed, right? But you don't know how more blessed you would be if you gave. Well, I, I didn't do this. And, and, and I'm healthy and, and, and God moved in some way, great. But how much more would the blessing, the healing, the, the power of God flow in your life if you did these things? So having said that, God can heal in a multiplicity of ways. Don't limit it to just God healing supernaturally, spontaneously. God heals. Listen, you pray like this, God may say, I'm going to use natural healing. And he created our bodies to naturally heal themselves. There's natural things out in, in, in the uh, environment and in the world, herbs and plants and those kind of things that we can, we can use in our bodies to bring healing. So he might heal naturally. He might heal through human means. Doctors and physicians and people who have studied the body and understand how different mechanisms and nerves and everything works, he may heal through human means. And he may heal supernaturally through a divine fiat, through his will at that moment in a supernatural way. But make no mistake, all healing comes from God. So when you pray for healing and you anoint someone with oil and you say, I'm believing for healing. And the person, you're done praying with them and they stand up and they're healed. Praise God, he did a miracle. When you pray for someone else and you pray with the same faith and the same oil and the same belief and they don't stand up and they're not healed. And it's a day, a week, a month, six months later and they go to a doctor and they're healed. You know what? Praise God, he healed them. Uh, he didn't heal in the way I wanted. Well, maybe you need to change your expectations 
And stop saying, God, you can only move the way I think you can move. And when you don't move the way I have already predetermined, then you're not moving. So allow God to move however he wants. Do I believe in divine healing for today? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I could have people in this church that have been prayed for share stories about God healing supernaturally, spontaneously. I've seen it. But not every healing is supernatural and spontaneous. And what I know is this, when you approach God that way, it will change you. It will change you, even if you don't see the healing you want. Because we know that at, at the end of things, when Jesus comes back, there'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more pain. Eventually, we'll see complete, everlasting, total healing. And so pray to God. Believe for healing. The next thing James goes on and says this. If you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. So what he's getting at is this. At some point or another, all of us in our relationship with God um, have some tension. Because we don't always live exactly the way God asks us to live. We're short-tempered, we're mean, we lie, we gossip, we, we uh, act in an unbecoming way, we're overly aggressive, we, um, we deflect things, we, uh, some way or another, are self-centered and selfish, you're not as generous as God would want us to be, God puts it on our heart to give, and we say, I'd rather keep, and so we, we there's this times that we're just not living exactly the way our Heavenly Father would ask us to live, and so what James is saying is this, admit to your sins and walk in forgiveness. Admit to your sins and walk in forgiveness. He's saying you're struggling with something. Something's going on in your life. Take a moment and take some inventory and stock of your life. Where am I not living the way God would ask me to live according to his word? Has he revealed it to us in the Bible, in the New Testament? Where, where am I not quite in sync? And I know that. God, forgive me. I want to be better. I want to, I want to live more in a way that honors you. Be quick to own those things. It's amazing to me how slow we are to identify our own sin, but how quick we are to point it out in everyone else. I mean, goodness. I mean, I don't know about you, but I could go around and I could say, you've got this problem, and this problem, and this problem. And someone could look at me and say, what problems do you have? And I'd say, well, there's Jesus and me. I mean... I know I've sinned, but no. I mean, that's, that's kind of how we are oriented in life. And James is saying, take some time, look at your life, and find those areas, those ways in which your life isn't measuring up. And then he said, you'll be healed. Now, I'm going to get to this a little bit more, but I do want to mention this. It's not exclusively talking about, or even primarily talking about physical healing, miraculous healing. But that is implied to a certain degree. So what I'm saying is this, if, if you need God to move in a, a miraculous way in your life, do everything you can to identify anything in your life that is out of alignment with how God wants you to live. But having said that, don't ever, ever, ever believe or say to anyone because it is not true and it is not biblical that if healing doesn't flow, if a miracle doesn't manifest, you must have some unconfessed sin in your life. That's not biblical. There was this guy, he was a soldier, he dies. He had unconfessed sin, he didn't know he was going to die. 
He dies. He's got unconfessed sin. They're in the middle of a battle. So his, his, his uh, fellow soldiers take him and toss him into a cave. In that cave were the bones of a prophet named Elisha. The anointing on Elisha's life was so powerful. God's presence was still there in his bones that the man fell on his bones and he was raised up from the dead. What? I don't think he said, hey, before you throw me in the cave, let me confess some unconfessed sins here. He was dead. So don't say to someone, well, the miracle didn't happen because you have some unconfessed sin in your life. And don't put that on yourself. Oh, be free from that. Listen, do you want to? If, think about a water pipe, right? If God's Holy Spirit's power is flowing through that pipe, if, that, if he represents water, right? If there's a blockage in there, remove the blockage. The more that the Holy Spirit's power can flow into your life, the better. But just because there might be some sin there doesn't mean God can't heal or won't heal. So deal with those sins, absolutely. But that's not the... The impetus. What he's getting at is go to God, deal with your sin, be quick to confess. But then, you know, there's going to be times not only that you sin against God, but there's going to be times when you have relational sin. And when you have relational sin, go and confess it to that person. Go to them and say, hey, I, I, I lied. I slandered you. Talked about you behind your back. I violated a trust. I was overly aggressive. I was abusive. I, I hurt you. I wounded you. I abandoned you. Whatever it is, and say, I'm, I, am, I am so, there's no, no excuse. Will you forgive me? Confess your sin. Pray for each other. Yes, I, I forgive you. Let's pray together that your relationship might be healed. I understand that every relationship can be healed and not every relationship should continue. I understand that. I'm not saying stay in an abusive relationship. I'm saying at some point we have to say, if there is relational sin, I have to go to that person and I have to own it. I have to admit it. I have to confess it. And as we pray for each other, our relationship can be healed. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Can I just go to God for forgiveness? Can I just go to God for, what is this whole other people stuff? It's not about having a mediator between you and God. There's only one mediator between man and God, the man Jesus Christ. So you don't need to go to someone else for forgiveness. But if you sin against someone, you need to go to them for forgiveness. So let me just walk you through this real quick. There's three types of forgiveness. There's positional forgiveness, provisional forgiveness, and relational forgiveness. So positional forgiveness, that's when you come and you humble yourself before God and you accept the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You come to him as forgiver. And positionally, God says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. The blood of Christ forgives us of all sin. But then there's provisional forgiveness. So you can see these two, and they're beautifully illustrated in 1 John chapter 1. So it talks about the blood of Jesus forgives us all sin. Then John goes on to say, John who was a half-brother of Jesus, he goes on to say, and if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So there's positional forgiveness. You accept the work of God through Jesus Christ on the cross. Then there's provisional forgiveness. As you're following Jesus as Lord. You first you come to him as forgiver. Now you're following him as Lord. But there's going to be times when you mess up, you fail, you make mistakes, you, you stumble in some way. If you confess your sin, if you say, God, oh, oh, that was donkey-like. I am so sorry. 
Will you forgive me? He's faithful and just. He has made a provision for ongoing forgiveness. It's not a license to just go on sinning, but it does say I messed up in some way and God will forgive. But then there's relational forgiveness. And this is the forgiveness that we receive from others. When we hurt them, violate them, wound them, mistreat them in some way. A husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, parents to children, children to parents, coworkers, teammates, classmates, neighbors, any fellow human being, when you wound them in some way, will you forgive me? I've messed up. I have, I have done something and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? All three of those need to flow in your life because when they do, you can come to God unencumbered. You come to God and you say, I'm not carrying all these things. There's all this stuff back behind in my life, hidden in the closet, behind the curtain that nobody knows about, but I know about, and God, I can't fool you because you know about it. So then when I come to God in prayer, I just feel like I'm being a fraud. So God, here it is. I'm laying it all bare. Please forgive me. Listen, it's hard. It's hard to kind of just lay your soul bare. But I'm telling you, there are some of you pray and pray and pray and you say, God never answers me. And it's not true. God did answer you and you stopped listening. What God said was, the first thing I want you to do is deal with your sin. Once you deal with your sin, come back to me and we'll take it from there. And that's his answer. And you keep praying and God keeps saying, let's deal with the sin and then we'll take it from there. And you keep praying. And God says, let's deal with the sin and we'll take it from there. And, and you won't confess your sin. And at some point, God's not going to respond. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I believe that. Well, the Bible says this. For, this is David. For I cried out to God for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. And he paid attention to my prayer. There is something meaningful that energizes our prayer life when we confess our weaknesses, our sin, our failures. Then he goes on and says this. For the heartfelt and persistent prayers of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed intensely for it not to rain for three and a half years, and it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its crops. So there's two things in these verses that, that James is driving home when it comes to prayer. The first is this. Intensity in your prayer life makes a difference. There is the idea that prayer is unbroken communion, conversation with God, and we ought to walk in that. But there are times, there are moments, there are seasons for intense prayer. You want to call it intercession, call it intercession. You just want to call it uh, just getting into your prayer kind of closet, whatever you want to call this little space that you've carved out or just you and God, but it is intense. The word intense is an interesting word, right? We have, uh, oh, they're in intense time of study. They're in an intense season in life. Intense has its root in the word intend. I intend to do something. So the whole idea of intense is the degree to which you do something you intended to do. The degree to which you actually do something. So intense prayer isn't thinking about praying a whole lot. I thought about praying. Intense prayer isn't just a a kind of a throw-off, half-hearted prayer. Intense prayer is exhausting. It's investing. It's when you go deep and sometimes you go long. I remember before I came to Delaware over nine years ago, 
there was a, about a 12, close to 18 month gap, somewhere in that range of when I left the church I was at, things, some things happened there, and I came here. And that was a time of intense prayer. I, I would get up, I would sit on the front porch, I would sometimes just lay on my bed in the middle of the day and just cry out to God for all manner of things, not just what's next in my life and my ministry, but for my wife and for my kids and my family and my heart and my spirit that I wouldn't become angry and bitter and resentful. I cried out to God for 18 months almost. And he led me here. And so for nine years, I've been crying out. (laughs) There's an intensity in prayer. We need to say, this is that season. This is that moment. And that intensity in prayer makes a difference. Not just intending to pray, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Making it a priority. And then he says, um, Elijah was a righteous man. And he prayed. So what is it telling us? It's telling us this. Holiness of life impacts your prayers. This goes back to confessing your sins. Hey, God, I messed up. I've done some things. I'm not just going to presume upon you being a good, gracious God who's going to just do what I ask when I want. I'm going to say, God, if I violated you in some way, if I have lived in a way that that is less than your standard, forgive me. I want to live as a man or woman who honors you in the things I say, in the things I do, in the way I uh, interact with other people. That matter, when you do that, when you're quick to confess, when you are living a life, righteous simply means I'm right with God. I'm right with God. You ever had a relationship and things, and my wife will do this. She's kind of intuitive. She'll say, are we okay? We all right. Yeah, we're good. All right. We're we're righteous. And we're good. There's there's nothing between us. So just ask God, are we good? He'll say, well, you know, I love you. Jesus died for you. But I don't like some of these things. Can we deal with this? Deal with it. Be in right standing. Live like that. When you orient your life like that and you seek God like that, amazing things happen. So Elijah, in case you don't know, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was God's spokesman. So he was warning the people, stop living for your own pleasures, for your own passions, by your own standards. Stop turning to false gods and worshiping them. Return, return, return to the one true God. And live by his standards. And the people kept turning and turning and turning. One of the gods they turned to was a god named Baal. Baal was the god of fertility and the god of rain. And he said, why are you turning to him? He can't do anything. He's not even real. And they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. So Elijah said, if he's the god of rain, I've got something to show you. So he prayed to the one true god. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. And for three and a half years, the people cried out to Baal, send rain, send rain, send rain. After three and a half years, Elijah said, are you done turning to Baal? And are you ready to return to the one true God? And he prayed, and the rains come. That is what happens. That's the power of someone who's living a righteous, holy life to the best of their ability. When you live like that, God moves. It doesn't mean you're a super saint. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you never sin. We read, it said, Elijah was a man like us. The same weaknesses, the same frailties, sometimes the same sin, just like us. But he dealt with those things. He did his best to live the way God asked him to live. And God moved in a powerful way. And then James ends with this. His closing verses. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away 
from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So James, if you, if you follow these last verses, not just these two, but what we just read this morning, he's, he's bringing a, a, an idea full circle. He's saying, be a person of prayer. Be a person of prayer. You're going to go through ups and downs, good times and hard times. Invite God into every aspect of your life. Turn to him in your greatest moments of need when you need healing. Be quick to address the issues in your life. Come to him with holiness of life, with intensity in prayer, and watch how his prayers will move through your life. And so as you're living like that, you're going to have people in your life who call themselves Christians, who are Christians, who believe in the same God, but sometimes they get off course and they wander away. And if God can move that powerfully in your life through your prayers, you know what? He can move equally as powerful in their life through your prayers. So when you see someone deconstruct their faith, when you see someone say, I'm no longer a Christian, when you see someone who says, I don't believe that anymore, don't write them off, don't be disgusted by them, don't say, what good are they? And they're a hypocrite and they were never really... He says, go after them, live a life of mission, fall on your knees and pray for them as intensely as you prayed for the healing that you needed. Bring it full circle. These people are your brothers and sisters. They're not your enemies. In other words, what Paul is, or James is saying is this, powerful and effective prayer will change your life and the lives of others. You see someone who's gotten off course, pray, pray, Pray. You get off course. Pray. 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 Pray intently. Deal with things. James' whole letter from the first verse to the last verse is all about how do we live out our faith in the context of a faith community. How do we live this out? How do we grow individually and grow as a community of faith? How do we function together? We show love and acceptance to everyone. That we're, we're quick to forgive. We're, we're quick to listen. We're slow to speak. We're slow to get angry. It's all about relational harmony. It's all about a community of faith that's growing, that's alive, that's vibrant. That's saying, if anyone walked in this door, they'd say, I want to be a part of that. I don't even know what these people believe. But I want to be a part of that. He's saying, that's how I want you to live. Because when you live like that, your prayer becomes powerful. It becomes effective. It will change your life. It will change the lives of those in your faith community. It will change the whole complexion of your church. And it will impact the world in which you live. That's what God wants for you. It's what he wants for me. It's what he wants for us. So here this morning, if you would just close your eyes and begin to pray. I don't know if you are in a point, in a uh, moment in your life, a place where you need prayer. But I believe God wants to move here this morning. So in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. You may need healing. You may need relational healing. You may need physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. You just, spiritually, you just feel like dying inside you may need mental healing some trauma you may need healing in, in some other aspect of your life I believe God wants to heal today so I, I've got oil I showed you I've got some other 
containers of oil. So we're going to have prayer teams up here. We're going to have uh, people that are ready to pray for you. And if you would say, I'd like prayer. I need prayer. I need prayer this morning. And as this song is played, I'm going to invite you to make your way forward. Receive prayer. Watch what God can do. Until then, I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I don't know what's going on. If there's sin in our lives, maybe this morning we need to come forward and just look someone in the eyeballs and say, I've, I've messed up. And take some ownership of it. Admit to it. And then walk out of here free, 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 because he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Maybe some of us, we just need to cry out to you and say, God, please heal, please heal, please heal. For some of us, this may be the first prayer in an intense season of prayer. And I'm going to ask God right now that if that's the case, would this be the, uh, the catalyst that would drive us to deep, intense prayer in this season until we come out of it and we say, look, look, look what my God has done. So if you need prayer as this song is played, please come forward. Let us pray with you and pray for you. Let's stay now and worship God.